Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. As I was thinking about how in the world to introduce nine different books of prophecy in a way that doesn't put you or even me to sleep, I thought that maybe it would be fun to categorize them with some different categories. Now, we started last week by categorizing the prophets by their historical context. I think this is maybe the most helpful way for understanding how these books fit together in the big story of God. Then our study book itself is going to put these books in chronological order. So we are going to study them in the order of the dates by which they were written. That's going to be helpful, give us some more organizational context. But today, let's hypothetically add the Dewey Decimal System to these books of prophecy. I'm going to group these three groups of three books, and we're going to find them in our hypothetical library. First in the 900s section, the biographies, then in the 800s section or the literature section of the library, and then finally in the 700s or the poetry section. So let's begin in the 900s. This is the biography section of our library. The three books that we're going to talk about here are named not by their author, but rather by their subject a person who will serve as a type of Christ. Now, types in the Old Testament are persons that prefigure aspects of Jesus in the New Testament. They operate like a shadow, where Jesus is the real person being described, but he's backlit, so to speak, by the light of truth, casting his shadow or his image on the person that we're reading about. Now remember, these people were human beings, so they were sinners, just like us, but aspects of their biographical story are intended to point us to the God-man, Jesus Christ. So these books will be really fun to read because they're going to tell compelling narrative stories. So we're going to start with these three. The first one I have a special place for in my heart, Jonah, because our youngest son is named after him. In some ways, Jonah is the complete opposite of Jesus. He runs away from God, and then he wants the worst for the people of Nineveh, the very ones to whom God has called him to speak. But even though he was disobedient, Jonah is going to image Jesus in some beautiful and unique ways. First, we're going to see that he endured the wrath of God during a terrible storm so that everyone else on the boat could be saved. Sounds a little bit like Jesus, doesn't it? Next, we're going to see that he spent three days and three nights in the depths of the sea, entombed in a fish. And then he was resurrected, so to speak, or spit up onto the shore. That really sounds a lot like Jesus. Even Jonah's selfish and unrepentant heart is going to point us to our need for a Savior. I love that when the Pharisees asked Jesus himself for a sign to prove that he was who he said he was, this is in Matthew 12, verses 38 to 40, Jesus said, only one sign was needed, 
to point to him, and it was the sign of Jonah. So I love that my son's namesake was a sinner who pointed us to Jesus. Well, the next book we'll study, Hosea. Hosea's story was captured beautifully by the author Francine Rivers in a book that I'm sure many of us have read and loved called Redeeming Love. Maybe some of you even saw the movie a couple of years ago. This was a retelling of this radical love story where Hosea represents Christ in powerful and sometimes uncomfortable ways. I hope you can wrestle with the uncomfortableness of this book. Hosea is a faithful bridegroom who pays a costly price to redeem his bride, an ungrateful prostitute from sexual slavery. He's called to love her intimately despite her consistent rejection and adulterous sexual behavior. She's a real piece of work, and it gets really uncomfortable when we realize we are her in the story. Hosea even has children with this woman, two of whom are a daughter named No Mercy and a son named Not My People. Isn't that weird? <laughs> but over the course of the story, God changes their names. And this symbolizes what Paul and Peter will write about in Romans 9, which we studied last spring, and in 1 Peter 1, about Jews and Gentiles coming together as the bride of Christ. I love how Hosea portrays a God who pursues intimacy with us despite our unfaithfulness. This is going to be a really good week. Well, finally, we will learn about Daniel in this section. Many of us remember stories about Daniel and his friends from Sunday school. And these are told in the first part of the book and in the last part of the book. Often what was left out in our, in our Sunday school classes was the middle section of this book, the apocalyptic prophecies of Daniel, where God enabled him to interpret dreams and visions that predicted much of Israel's future and even the second coming of Christ. For our purposes, we're going to consider the third person stories about Daniel the man as a unique shadow of Christ. You may be surprised how Daniel's story is a bit different from your childhood memories. Just, just like this picture depicts here, we'll learn how Daniel was likely 90 years old when he was thrown into the lion's den. Not that young cucumber that we saw in VeggieTales. <laughs> we'll see how Christ-like Daniel was as he demonstrated meekness, humility, and courage as a servant of several different prominent kings in Babylon and Persia. We'll see him buried in a cave of death with a literal stone rolled over the entrance to seal him in. And then we'll see him brought back to life, so to speak, protected by God from the mouths of the lions, whom Peter later likened Satan to in the New Testament. Daniel is a true kingdom ambassador. He's a foreigner who exhibits the character of Christ in a hostile land. I love these three stories. I think we're going to be so blessed by them. Well, next, let's move to one of my favorite sections in the library, the 800s or the literature section. Now, these next three prophetic books that we're going to talk about are not fiction by any means. 
I don't want you to misunderstand that. They're not fiction, but these prophets are going to use many literary elements to get the attention of the people. So the three that we're going to talk about are considered major prophets because they are very long. These are the longest books of the semester. They're going to be named for their authors. So let's think of them as these long literary works that make use of symbolism and metaphor and beauty, really, as they speak to us of God's, uh, God's truth about sin, judgment, and redemption. Now, for the sake of helping us remember them this morning, I want to talk about them. I want to describe these three by their moods. And I wanted to bring them into 2023, so we're going to use emojis to describe these three guys. Okay, we're going to start with Isaiah. He's our pensive and winsome singer-songwriter. Okay, this glorious book, 66 chapters, is a saga, really. It's so beautifully written, and it announces God's surprising plan of grace and glory through beautiful songs and word pictures. And I don't want you to get stressed. We're not going to read all 66 books in one week, but there are a lot of passages in Isaiah that you're going to recognize. They're going to be surprisingly familiar because a lot of our worship songs are based on verses from Isaiah. Like I'm sure you know at least one song from Isaiah 40, 31, but they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will rise up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. I love that one. Or maybe you've heard a song from Isaiah 43, verse 1. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name, and you are mine. Beautiful songs from the book of Isaiah. Well, Isaiah is also known for predicting many things about the future Messiah, especially verses that might ring true during our Advent season. Like in Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Or maybe you remember Isaiah 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isn't it amazing to think of Isaiah writing that before Jesus was ever born, not even, knowing, not even knowing who he would be or what he would look like. Perhaps Isaiah's most famous song is found in Isaiah 53. Just, I, I picked one verse out of it. The whole thing is so glorious. It tells so specifically about Jesus. But verse 5 says, But he was pierced for our iniquities. He was, tr- he was crushed for our transgressions. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds... We are healed. Now, we could literally spend two years in the book of Isaiah, and I, I really think at some point in your, in your life, you should. You should really dig deep into these book, into these chapters, but we're going to cover it in a big, broad way this semester. Well, next is Jeremiah. He's our weeping prophet. If you don't know this, he wrote the sad follow-up to his book, Lamentations, which is a book that is full of laments and sorrowful songs. Jeremiah is known for this Eeyore-like disposition, but his grief was entirely valid. 
In his 52 chapters, he is deeply grieved by sin, the problem that he introduces that only Jesus can solve. I hope we can find ourselves in his descriptions of the heart of sin. He writes beautifully about a new covenant that God will establish with his people where the law is going to be written on hearts by the Holy Spirit. Now remember from last week, Jeremiah writes to Judah before they go into 70 years of exile in Babylon. So when he writes these famous words in chapter 29, verse 11, maybe some of your favorite verse in scripture, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to, give, to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. He means that those plans are going to include a lot of suffering and a lot of waiting, but they're full of hope as he points them and us to, to the Savior. I can't wait for us to learn from this prophet, Jeremiah. Well, finally, Ezekiel is our cuckoo bird. I, he is someone that I think that all of us would have thought was totally crazy if we lived in his day. And I really love this guy. I actually relate to him more than any of the others. Ezekiel describes the glory of the Lord through these grand and crazy visions that God enables him to see and describe to the people. These, these visions, you guys, are going to blow your mind. They're just crazy. But they have so much to teach us, especially about the Holy Spirit. He predicts this future work of the Holy Spirit in ways that I find challenging for me today. I hope you do as well. He's going to open our eyes to the work of the Spirit in totally new ways. So I feel confident in telling you all that Ezekiel is going to blow your mind, because he really will. <laughs> okay, our final stop in our library this morning is in the 700 section. This is the arts section of the library. And this is where we're going to find the minor prophets. And they're called minor because they're 12 relatively short books. These span from Hosea to Malachi, and they often read like poetry. Now, we discussed Hosea back in the biography section. It's a minor prophet as well, uh, but it too is relatively short and very poetic. The other three that we're going to discuss this semester, they all have memorable lines that I think all of you are going to recognize. So let's start with Micah. Uh, when I was in seminary about 10 years ago, I had to start my seminary class by writing a rule of life. This was um, a class that I took called Spiritual Formation. I wasn't allowed to take anything else until I had done this, and I had to write this rule that was going to define how I was going to live my, my, my walk with Christ in my time during school so that I wouldn't just be learning all this academic knowledge and not applying it to my heart. And so the verse that I chose to write my rule of life came from Micah, Micah 6, 8. I have a, a plaque of this in my office if you come in. This is, this is a verse that, Je that Micah wrote to Judah. He wanted them so much to consider the holiness of God and the vocation that he had given to them. And so he asked, what does the Lord require of you but to act justly? to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, Judah failed miserably in this vocation, so they needed a Savior to live it out perfectly so that we could also live it out. 
But in Christ, these words still ring true for us today. I always think of this verse when I consider this, the short book of Micah. Well, next, if you have been at TBC very long, Habakkuk is a prophet who will remind you of our late pastor, Gary DeSalvo. Habakkuk is a book of lament, sorrow over Judah's sinful, rebellious ways, but a plea for Judah to hold on to hope, no matter what their circumstances. So Gary chose a verse, two verses from Habakkuk, to describe his joy and his hope during his battle with cancer. So all of you are going to know this. It's, it's Habakkuk 3, verses 17 and 18. Gary said this so often and repeatedly to us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. What an example Gary and Bev were to me personally, and I know to, to many of you as they chose joy in the face of disease and ultimately death. Habakkuk points us to this great hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Well, finally, Malachi is the last book of our Old Testament, the final word spoken to Judah before this 400 years of silence of God between our Old and New Testaments, before Jesus was born. It's just three short chapters, but it captures the hope of the Messiah. All of the gospel writers in your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, will quote Malachi 3 verse 1 when he said, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, predicting the work of John the Baptist, who would set the stage for the Messiah, his cousin, Jesus Christ. But the verse that I chose that, that really stands out to me is the last verse of Malachi Chapter 3, verse 17, it's so full of the gospel. It says here, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. So later, Peter, in 1 Peter 1, 9, would confirm that through Jesus, the church, that's us sitting in this room today, is a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And so Malachi's words would prove true. We are, in fact, God's treasured possession, but only because we have been spared by the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So as we study these nine prophets this semester, we consider all of the different ways that we're going to categorize them. In the end, what matters most is that they, just like all of the words of Scripture, point us profoundly to Jesus. As I was thinking about the Dewey Decimal System, I thought, wow, Jesus encompasses all of, this, of these categories. Jesus is the wisdom and the knowledge of God, explaining philosophy and psychology and pure religion and all social relationships. Jesus is the object of praise by the language, languages of every nation and tribe who will one day worship around his throne. 
Jesus is the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. So all of science and all technologies describe him. Jesus is the beauty and the eternity that is set into our hearts by everything that we find beautiful in art and recreation and literature. It's amazing. Colossians 1 says that Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So he holds all of human history and geography together until he comes again. Well, John, our New Testament prophet, whose letters that we're going to study this spring as a complement to these Old Testament prophets, he understood Jesus to be the ultimate or the final word of the Lord. He began his gospel about Jesus Christ saying this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything made. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then a little later in the chapter, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is our ultimate category. We read the prophets to behold his glory in new and insightful ways. I'm so thankful for this guide that we have to help us find him together in the books of prophecy this semester. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful, so thankful for your word that you have revealed yourself to us in, especially in these nine books of prophecy that we're going to study. And as it sounds overwhelming, God, would you help to settle our hearts and to just steadily, week by week, See how you will reveal yourself to us in these nine books. Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand? Would you just magnify in our, in our minds your son in these books? We look forward to what you will teach us together. We love you, God, and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Have a great week studying Jonah. We'll, we'll discuss that next week.